Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Please open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be reading together verses 8 to 19. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning with verse 8. This is the word of God, and it is eternally true. We're picking up in the middle where the Apostle Paul is dealing with a congregation that's divided because one person has this gift from the Holy Spirit, and another has this gift of the Holy Spirit, and they're fighting because they think their gift is more important than the other person's gift. And so the gifts of the Spirit are the basis of their fighting. So we're picking up in the middle, and the Apostle Paul, as inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes him, and he says this, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether they're Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we are all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body would have an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. If they were all member members, if, excuse me, if they were all one member, where would the body be? This is the word of the Lord. And so we have a list of the gifts that are given to the Corinthian church, and we can obsess over the specific gifts. We can say, well, what are the specific gifts in her? We have the gifts in her. Who has this gift, and who has this gift, and what is the meaning of that gift, and what's this gift? And, and you know why we're doing that? We're doing that because we want to restore the fighting and divisiveness of the Corinthian church. We want to see what our gift is, you know. Uh, the man who is largely responsible with a number of the rest of you for the existence of this church, Jay Lee, his son, came up on the roof and helped us get started with Mike Bowles when we first started our work. What was it, a week, two weeks ago now? Yeah, two weeks ago. And his son David came over and helped him. They're a commercial roofer in town. And Jay Lee, do you know what a spoonerism is? Jay Lee has a habit of taking letters at the beginning of a word and putting them on the previous word. 
So there are some famous spoonerisms that I could mention, but they tend to be sort of uncouth. But, so Jay was talking to his small group one day, and he was emphasizing to everybody in the small group how important it was that we all know what our gifts are, all right? And so when he got done telling everybody it's important that you know what your gift is because everybody has a gift in the church, and we all need to work together with the gifts God's given us. And he gets done, and Jay's just a very enthusiastic man, and Jay, Jay says, now I know what my gift is. My gift is extortion. <laughs> He meant exhortation, but he said extortion. And that's real typical of Mike Bowles and Jay Lee. So they've always been very close friends because of that. So the Apostle Paul is going through the gifts, and we can fixate on what all the gifts are and say, well, what does that mean today? And I haven't seen anybody healing today, and I say, well, it's Benny Hinn. And he's not here. But I'm joking. The point of this section is not for us to have a perfectly detailed and tight uh, catalog of what specific gifts are given to the church. The point of this is to show that at that time, these were the gifts, and they were fighting over them. The point of it is, all the gifts come from God through his spirit for the unity of the church, right? Okay? And the gifts are diverse and stop fighting over which gift you have. So those are just the two points and all the specific details of the gifts are just as an illustration of the larger point. Now let's go through them. First of all, gifts of healing. What in the world does that mean, gifts of healing? Is that Adam Spadey and Lawrence Howell? You know, Lawrence heals our teeth and Adam heals whatever else is wrong with us. Well, it's gifts of healing, and it's in the context of other gifts that are clearly directly connected to the Holy Spirit's work. So yes, the Holy Spirit works through doctors, but here we're talking about miraculous healings. But what's interesting about it is that it's gifts of healing. Why would it be plural? Because Benny Hinn's a charlatan. Benny Hinn claims he has, what, the gift of healing. But people didn't have the gift of healing. What there were were healings when God gave individual gifts of healing. Does this make sense to you? And so it doesn't say the gift of healing, and it's like, well, you know, that's Benny Hinn, okay? It says gifts of healing, and so in the early church and at other times in history, certain times people have been given gifts of healing for the healing of a particular person. So we don't look back at Elijah in the Old Testament. We don't look at Jesus and say Jesus had the gift of healing. Now, Jesus had many gifts of healing, but what are you going to do? Say Jesus had the, the gift of healing and the gift of prophecy? No. Jesus had the power of God unleashed in him. And so it was that the apostles were given gifts of healing for particular persons to be healed. Okay? Listen. Nobody today has the gift of healing because there is no such gift. There are gifts of healing. And so people are individually healed when God gives a gift of healing for that individual healing. But there isn't a gift of healing that somebody can go around the country filling up arenas and we can all take Bob up. Every time Benny Hinn comes to Indianapolis, up, up we take Bob because Benny Hinn has the gift of healing and we want Bob to stand and walk and talk so we understand him. 
And that's what Bob has suffered with in his life. He has cerebral palsy, and he has men that work with him, and they want to take him up to India and get him healed so they don't have to care for him anymore. And they'd say, well, that's not fair. What we want is for him to be healed because we love him. And Bob says, would you please spare me your love? If I ever have anybody take me up to Benny Hinn again, I'm going to just shoot myself. Am I right, Bob? Yep. Yep. Yeah, because he'd talk to me and ask me what on earth he's supposed to do with these well-meaning people dragging him up to Benny Hinn. <laughs> you know, it's like, been there, done that. All right. So that is the gifts of healing. Now, wait, did I get out of order? I did, didn't I? Yeah, I skipped over too. Sorry. Let me start with the very beginning, a very good place to start. Word of wisdom. Whose wisdom? Well, to one is given the word of wisdom, what? Through the Spirit. So we're not talking about the wisdom of a judge. We're not talking about the wisdom of our grandmother. We're talking about the Holy Spirit's wisdom that is given to a particular person. And then it says to another, the word of knowledge. So the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. How would you make a distinction between wisdom and knowledge? Well, knowledge would generally be a result of studying and work that you put into it. That's the distinction between wisdom and knowledge, okay? And so we do see that there's a distinction between people who have, you know, just they're very, very knowledgeable, but they're not necessarily the person you want to go to to ask you for counsel at a critical time in your life, right? What you want for counsel at a critical time in your life is wisdom. It's not enough to have knowledge. But there is no wisdom without knowledge, right? Generally, the more knowledge you get in life, the more wisdom you get, right? So first of all, word of wisdom, then second, word of knowledge. But do you see, the rhythm is, for to one is given, the word of wisdom, what? Through the Spirit, this is the rhythm. And to another, the word of knowledge. And what's the rhythm? According to the same Spirit. So what we really see here is that the thread that's holding these things together is the Spirit. The emphasis is on the Spirit. It's not on these individual gifts, right? You see that? The same Spirit. Then, gifts of healing to another uh, faith by the same Spirit. Okay, I skipped faith too. So what is faith? Well, um, it doesn't look as if this faith is just the faith that every Christian is given to become a Christian. You know how it says in Ephesians that we are saved. Uh, It says in Ephesians chapter um, 1. Wait, maybe I had it. You know, I had something go bad this week. You know what went bad for me this week? Yeah, here it is. All of a sudden... My Bible program I've been using for 20-some years just stopped working. And do you know what else happened this week? All of my files left my computer. I couldn't find them this morning. I couldn't use my Bible program, and I couldn't find any of my files because Apple had done something with my files when I updated my system software. And when I updated my system software, online Bible stopped working. I thought you'd have sympathy for me. (laughs) Okay, so all my scripture has just completely changed after 20-some years of habit. So this is what it says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It says, for by grace you have been saved, what? Through faith, 
through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that one, no one may boast. Well, that's the faith that God gives us, that he uses as the instrument of our new birth, all right? We have the faith to look in the face of our sin, okay? And that takes a lot of faith. <laughs> Are you with me? It takes a lot of faith to look at our sin. Are you with me? And so he gives us the faith to look at our sin and then the faith to repent and the faith to see the blood of Jesus shed for our clean, cleaning, okay? That faith is not what we're discussing here. Every Christian is given faith to look at our sin, to repent of it, and to trust in the blood of Jesus to wash us, Okay? But here we're talking about a different kind of faith, another faith by the same Spirit. And we know this because this is a faith that's given in opposition to the other gifts. This is a particular discrete gift. And so we're not talking about what everybody has. We're talking about, so what faith would this be? Well, it's probably faith for the doing of miracles that aren't healing, you know, they're not words of knowledge, not words of wisdom. What faith would that be? Well, for instance, faith that after you've been fishing all night, tell them to put down their net on the other side of the boat, and all of a sudden the net is filled with fish. We're talking about faith that uh, you tell her to keep pouring out oil from her clay jar, and the oil never stops coming. So this, these are discrete, again, discrete, specific actions of miracles that somebody has faith for, and the miracles happen. Then verse 8, we went over healing in 9, or excuse me, not 8. Then verse 10, and here we see a change in the rhythm. Do you see the change? All of a sudden, instead of the rhythm being the spirit, one in the same spirit, one in the same spirit, now what does the rhythm become? The hook. The hook now is one another, or not one another. The hook is another. And so instead of the hook being unity now, the same spirit, the same spirit, the spirit, same spirit, now it's one another, one and, and another and another and another. In other words, we go from the unity of the spirit to the diversity of the congregation, okay? Because the Apostle Paul is trying to get us to think in terms of the fact that it's not us getting along with each other that unifies us. It's the Holy Spirit's work among us that unifies us. And he wants us to know that we have to be unified because it's the one Spirit that's working in us. So he wants us to see the diversity of the body, the diversity of the gifts through the body, and he wants us to see that we are being ordered and changed and perfected and cleaned by the Holy Spirit through all these gifts. So as I said last week, it's unity in diversity, okay? Unity in diversity. It's so hard to speak of love today when love is meaningless. It's so hard to speak of passion today when passion is nothing. I have a passion for my coffee cup. This is stupid, you know? You're supposed to have a passion for your husband or your wife or your children or your passion for the praise of God. And we have passion for scarves and mittens and lawnmowers. But... I have a passion for vacuum cleaners and lawnmowers. I have to, I have to plead guilty about this. 
Okay, so, verse 10, to another the effecting of miracles and to another prophecy. Now, we do have examples of prophecy in the New Testament, but guess what? They're mostly noteworthy because they stick out like a sore thumb in the New Testament. It's almost not there in the New Testament. For instance, in Acts 11.28, one of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world, and this took place in the reign of Claudius. And then, ten chapters later in Acts, Acts 21, when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemy, and after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. On the next day, we left and came to Caesarea, and entering the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. Now this man, this is Philip, had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. And as we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus, again, came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says, in this way the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So these are the examples of prophets in the New Testament. Most of the prophets in the New Testament are prophetesses. This is the fulfillment of Joel's prediction of the coming of the Holy Spirit. But if you think about what the Old Testament is, and the Jews refer to the Old Testament, Jesus referred to it as what? The law and the prophets. So the Old Testament is filled with prophecy. And so prophets, the book of Jeremiah, the book of Isaiah, Amos and Hosea and Micah. So the Old Testament is filled with prophecy, but the New Testament is what? It's the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament, not all of them. And so what you see in the New Testament is a, a, an incredible diminishment and uh, decrease. What is noticeable about prophecy in the New Testament is how little of the New Testament has to do with prophecy except its fulfillment. Okay? And this is just a plain fact. I just read to you the, no, the, the noteworthy places in the New Testament about the prophets. And then to another, the distinguishing of spirits. <laughs> okay. So in the first service, what I did is, I, I, every time I'd go over a gift, I'd say to another, and I'd have somebody raise the hand. All right, will you be healing? Will you be this? Will you be that? Will you be the other thing? And so I had everybody just raising their hand. I'd say, look at him. He's the one that has a gift of healings, and he has a gift of... And when it came to this one, I said, okay, who of you is going to be the one who has the distinguishing of spirits? And Jonathan Wagner, John Wagner raised his hand. And, uh, and then I said this. You know how on reality TV shows, you know how they vote you off the island? You know what the church today is? Church today has voted the distinguishing of spirits off the island. There's not one person in the church in the world today that wants anybody to have the gift of distinguishing of spirits. Because all our spirits are cheerful and upbeat and happy-clappy and hopeful. 
And you know, the problem with somebody that distinguished spirits is not always cheerful, cheerful, and happy, happy, and clappy, clappy. You know, generally somebody that distinguishes the spirits is a real pain to have around. You know, they're the, they're the ones that uh, rain on your parade. <laughs> you, know? you know, I've had a man tell me that, that, that God basically told him to commit adultery. And sadly, I, I'm sorry. I know I, was, I rained on his parade. But I said, you know, God doesn't tell people to commit adultery. Doesn't matter what they say about their wife. <laughs> and you know, I didn't, get a, I didn't get a purple heart for doing that. Listen, we have to have the discerning of spirits because Scripture tells us this. In 1 John 4, 1, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And I'm telling you, I could preach on this for months and months and months and not grow tired because discerning the Spirit today is the gift that the church hates. I realized this going to a general assembly years ago and looking at all the people there voting. And all of a sudden, it just came to me, the evangelical church hates the gift of discernment. It wasn't enough for me to say there's no discernment in these people. What I realized is the reason there's no discernment is that the church hates discernment, and you always hire the kind of pastor you want. And so churches around the country have hired pastors who are committed to never exercising the gift of discernment in them because the people hate discernment, and so the pastors don't have any. And what they have, they hide. And this is true of the church today. It doesn't mean that there aren't certain distinctions that we maintain in every church. It doesn't mean that our pastors aren't very careful to show how discerning they are about certain things. And as I said last week, the principal thing that Reformed church planners are very discerning about today is craft brew. I suppose you can get angry if you disagree about which is a good craft brew. I suppose soon our hipster church planners are going to be disagreeing over what particular brand of dope they smoke. I mean, I think there's some similarity between dope and alcohol, right? We all agree with this. You know, one's kind of a, a stupefier, and the other is soporific. <laughs> it makes you sleep. But listen, all these gifts are from the Holy Spirit, and the Bible tells us many false prophets have gone out, and the Bible says we must test the Spirit. And so remember how last week I said that the gifts that we all despise are the ones we have to highly respect. Remember that? So if you find in your heart that you can't stand the person that is discerning, you just can't stand them, right? You know how your wife always has your number. Right? Any men here, your wife has your number. Okay. You have to pay her special honor because she's testing your spirits. 
And it isn't just good because you're the man. Now, does that put a fine enough point on it? Listen, this is a gift from God. The distinguishing of spirits to another various kinds of tongues and to another the interpretation of tongues. So we end with tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Why does he end there? Well, remember, that's what they're dividing over. They're dividing over tongues. And remember I said last week the beginning of the church was Pentecost when the tongues flames of fire. So it makes sense that it's such an extraordinary gift that everybody wants that gift because they associate the beginning of the church and the coming of the Holy Spirit with that gift. Now, I have come prepared today to finally solve the problem that you all have, which is what in the world are glossolalia? What are tongues? Right? Nope, not going to do that. Because that's not the point. All right, we will get into that later, but it's just mentioning it here for a point. It's not mentioning it here to make a definitive statement about what tongues are. And I'll tell you something, we don't know what tongues are. Okay? The fact is, everybody thinks they know what tongues are, but if it was clear, the church would be agreed about what tongues are. And the fact is, tongues are kind of strange, you know? One person, I remember being in a charismatic church because charismatics believe in prayer, and I needed prayer because I was wicked. And so then they wanted me to speak in tongues. I think they thought that if I were to speak in tongues, I'd... Come on, say it. Come on. Break on through to the other side. <laughs> right? And so I wasn't speaking in tongues. And so they said to me, well, you know, just, just let your tongue go. And like, just say something nonsense, and then the Holy Spirit can build on that. And so what I said over and over again was, Limey Lou. This is true. And I just kept saying it over and over again. Limey Lou, Limey Lou. And I just stopped at Limey Lou. And so if you go to a charismatic church, you go to a Pentecostal church, you go to many uh, Episcopal churches that are in the renewal movement, everybody will have a different view of what it means and what it's supposed to be and when you have to have an interpretation, Right? And I'm not making fun of the gift of tongues. I'm making fun of smart alecks who think they know how the Holy Spirit works today on this. And the fact is, we don't. We don't know. I'm not going to say that tongues aren't given today. David Wagner and I, when we were examined by our presbytery, that was the issue that they were like this on. They wanted us to say, there is no such thing as tongues anymore. Come on. Sign up for that program, and we would say, forbid not the speaking in tongues, which is what the Bible actually says, right? But I want to get you off it, because the point is tongues has become a divisive thing, and it's mentioned here as one among diverse gifts given to different people, all by the one spirit, and all for the what? All for the building up of the church. <laughs> and how perverse today that we have whole denominations that are separated from the rest of the church because they say that tongues absolutely is an indication of a special work of the Holy Spirit. Duh! Isn't it called Corinth? I mean, 
that's what's going on in Corinth. Tongues is up here. And so Corinth was the original place that divided the body of Christ over what? They divided the body of Christ over the gift of tongues. Verse 11 summarizes everything we've read so far. It says, but. So in other words, in opposition to everything you've seen, as he lists the gifts, all the people in Corinth can feel the tension between the different gifts in the church, right? To another, to another, to another, one spirit, one spirit, to another, to another, and they're all like, yeah, that's my gift. And what makes him think he's so great that that's his gift? And, you know, this is what Corinth is doing. And so at this point, having listed the occasion of the division, he uses the preposition but, and but is always supposed to stop you hard in your tracks. But, but, all right, but what? But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as you will. Is that what it says? No, it's not what it says. It says, just as he wills. Now, you know how you can change the emphasis of a phrase and you can screw around with its meaning, right? So let me change the emphasis of that phrase a little bit. It says here, distributing to each one individually, and the phrase is just as he wills. Okay. Distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. Perfection, right? Just as. In other words, what's pricelessly accurate here is his will. Just as he wills. Just in the nick of time. Okay? Now let's change it. Distributing to each one individually just as he wills. All right? And then the third one, which I think is accurate, just as he wills. You see, listen, we don't get the gifts we want. We do not get the gifts we want in the church. The gifts are given by God just as he wills, not as we will. And again, this could be months of sermons because if you want to deal with the problems that churches have today, it is absolutely foundational to those problems. The argument, the bickering, the jealousy, and the envy, and the self-determination of people with respect to spiritual gifts. So now I'm going to riff on that for a few minutes, okay? And I only have four minutes left, but maybe you'll give me five. <laughs> Listen, number one, when I was in Boulder at First Pres, the senior pastor there said something I've never forgotten. He said, a lot of your problems in churches are going to be caused by people that think they're a pastor and they're not, or who wish they're a pastor and they're not. And so we had a man in this church who everybody knew this man as being a very proud man. And one day he came up to me and he said, how do you get into the pastor's college? And I looked at him and I said, you are asked. And he wasn't stupid. And he knew that meant he would never be asked. And he never was. Why? 
How would you like to have a shepherd who's proud? Does it go down easily to have church discipline given to you by a man who looks at you as a gnat that he needs to squash under his foot? No. And so the, the church has many men who think that they would make a good pastor, you know? And it's true, they're bright, and often they're very good at talking, right? But for some reason, they don't have gifts that are necessary. They don't have a good reputation on the outside. They're lovers of money, whatever it is. They're arrogant. And so guess what? The church, I said to him, no. You will be asked, and then... Other men will come to me and say, how do you know if you're called to pastoral ministry? And I say, you know something? The gift that you have is told to you by the church, and the church is infallible when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because you have other men who are called to pastoral ministry, and the people of the church want him to shepherd them, right? And those men think, no, 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 I'm horrible at that. I can't do that. I do it with fear and trembling and sickness unto death, and there should be some confidence in me for me to be a pastor, you know? And it's like, look, it doesn't work that way. The church is infallible when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. Now, you say, what do you mean by infallible? And I say, you can trust the church in making a judgment. That's why we take a vote. That's why if we have more than about 10% of the people saying no to a particular pastor or elder or deacon, we go back to the drawing board and say, you know, 10% is a pretty high percentage to have you come into office. We want the sheep to judge you as someone they want to discipline them. And you say, well, there you go with discipline again. I, I, okay, oh, oh, okay, okay. We want you to judge the men that you want to encourage you. I mean, who gives a rip who encourages you? <laughs> you know, but when it comes to discipline, I mean, listen, the whole thing about men and women officers in the church, it's, it's just so obvious, right? I even got my, my rabid feminist sister to see this. I said, Deborah, Deborah, honestly, do you want to be the one that the church sends to discipline a man in your church? And she's like, no. And it's like, ding dong. That's it. That's it. God knows that it's not going to go well to have a woman rebuke and admonish and excommunicate and bar a man from the Lord's table. Nobody in their right mind is going to have a woman do that if there's any man breathing around. Right, And so we think about the issue of the church choosing the shepherds that discipline them, that bar them from the Lord's table, that strengthen them when they're weak, and we realize the church should choose those men, right? And if you want to know the truth, the church chooses the women who are the older women of the church too. You would think that the tightest two women in the church are going to be the wives of the pastors and elders. Guess what? Doesn't necessarily happen. All through my life, I have seen some women whose husbands are absolutely not capable of being officers, and yet these women are the mothers in Israel. They're unbelievably wise. They are helpful to the pastors. They work giving pastors counsel on how to deal with difficult situations. They're the ones that the women go to. 
The Holy Spirit gives to the church according to the needs of the church. And the church recognizes what the Holy Spirit has given. Are you with me? Now, now here's where I want this all to end up. God, when he gave you faith to see your sin and to repent of it and to turn to Jesus to be washed, when God did that with you, God did it for the beauty of the church. He did not do it so you could have a relationship with Jesus. Are you with me? Because Christ died for the church. I know we all want to make it an individualist, personal thing. It's not. You don't matter. In the first service, I referred to all of us as pimples and blackheads. Because we're talking about the body here, and I think it's better to talk about that than some of the body parts that might come to mind. But if you just have an idea that the body of Christ is a face, all you are is a pimple. That's all you are. And if you want to take pride in what a wonderfully glorious pimple you are, have at it. But if you're just willing to be the pimple that causes that, that face to, to, to be tender of that spot in the body, you know what I'm saying? Then, then all of a sudden, we're not fighting over the gifts because we want that face to be as beautiful as it can. Or we know that God's working on our face, humbling it, and so we're willing to be the pimple that humbles the face. Okay? Come on. Come on. Do you see where I'm headed? How many of you right now can immediately remember a time when God made you the pimple of the face of the church so that the whole church would be humbled and it was, it was, really, it was really red and pussy for you, but it was very helpful for the church? Come on. Yeah. Listen, guys, this is how we have to think about the church. The point is that God is using our gifts, the ones that are embarrassing and the ones that aren't embarrassing as much, all of them together in such a way that when we get to heaven, we're going to be a beautiful bride. And you're not the beautiful bride. You just aren't. The church is the bride. And if you're sitting at the table of the marriage feast of the Lamb, dressed in white, the works of righteousness that God's prepared for you to do, and if you've done those works, and if all those works are, are to sit home and care for your brother's handicapped sister, year after year, and then your mother. Okay, do you hear me? Do you think that you're less because you're at home? Oh, no. That's what Satan will tell you. Satan will tell you, you don't have a gift to give to the church. And I say, well, how about being a pimple? And you go, well, you know, I could do that. I say... It's a glorious gift. It allows the elders to do some of their most tender work. Some of the work that binds people together most is if you're a pimple. Because when you're a pimple, then it gives the elders the ability to squeeze you. Listen to me. All of you have had a pimple. And if your glory in life is to be a pimple then you have the right expectations for this life. And that's what you have to do with a Facebook generation. Lower the expectations. All you're going to be is a pimple. 
But when you get to heaven, you will have brilliant white robes of the righteousness of Jesus Christ on. Now, can you do that? You can do that. And all of a sudden, the pressure's off because it's not about you. It's about God and his bride. Okay? I'll close with an illustration, and I'll be done early, late and early. So the last couple of weeks, we've been doing a lot of work on the new church building, and it's the time where the work is being done by volunteers. And the volunteers have been women doing food, others doing drinks, others doing uh, leadership, telling people what to do, and others who have the skills, and some who really don't have anything, nothing but have shown up. And the work has been painting and the work has been the roof. Well, on the painting, it's just uh, Ben, uh, I mean Bob, and, uh, and Jake. And Jake's the volunteer on, on, the, uh, on the painting because he knows how to paint and you really don't want somebody using a, a, a spray gun who doesn't know what they're doing. And so we have a new Christian in our church, a dear brother named Paul. And um, Paul is a, a masculine man, tanned because he works outside, very strong, calloused hands because he works with his hands, very straightforward, looks you in the eyes, stands straight. There's nothing university, Indiana University about Paul. He's honest, for starters. And he, he knows how to work for something else. But when it comes to this church, you know what Paul is? Paul's a little baby in arms. He knows how to cry, but you have to feed him because he hasn't yet started to walk and he doesn't know how to help other people. And so he's just a babe in Christ. He's at the milk stage. But here's the thing about God. Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said what? He said, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. And it pleased God for at this period, right when Paul has come to faith, it pleased God to have this church that he showed up at be needing a roof and a commercial roof. And guess what? When it comes to commercial roofing, there's nobody in this church that knows more than Paul. And listen, this is how God works. This is how God works. And so yesterday, up on the roof, he's there with his two sons, and he is the father of them all, including Mike Bowles. And guess who's working underneath Paul? the elders and pastors. But not just the elders and pastors, the budget director of the state of Indiana. Brian Bailey's just a grunt. And Paul's telling Brian Bailey what to do, and his son Joseph. I mean, look, come on, this is how God works. This is how God works. And so in the church, we do not keep track of who's a baby and who's a man and who's a woman and who's a Gentile and who's a Jew. We don't do any of that stuff. Do you understand? 
And the reason is because it's all for the marriage feast of the Lamb. It's all done by his spirit for the unification of us because it's not going to glorify God for us to be divided when we get there. And so he's tuning our lips here before that what we are to do there, we do here before. Okay? But each one of us is to be honored. You are to honor everyone else and you are to hide your own honor. Not your gift, but your honor. You know the difference between your gift and your honor? Does everybody know that? Right? You got to be able to distinguish between your pride and your service. You know? And so as we do this stuff, what happens is there's not one person who is, you know the word extraneous. There ain't anybody who's extraneous in the body. Paul is not extraneous, but that's an obvious thing because we're roofing. But the unbelievable thing is that Brian Bailey isn't extraneous. I mean, if there's ever an extraneous man, it's the budget director of the state of Indiana. <laughs> Who needs him, honestly? Do you really think anything's going to not work properly if Brian Bailey doesn't show up at work? I think somehow the government's going to continue to get revenue and spend it. Okay. We'll continue on this theme. But it's so beautiful to see the people that the world thinks is highly of just flunkies in the church working under Paul, working under Mike. Lawrence retired from being a dentist so that he could take you-know-what from Mike Bowles. Although I'm guessing that he hasn't given you any problem, has he? Yeah, yeah. But I'll tell you, yesterday we thought we were going to have a major cataclysm because Mike and uh, Lucas Weeks went at it. And it was intense. Everybody that was there, raise your hand if it was intense. You're all wondering who's going who's to come out of this one. <laughs> Mike was wondering who's going to come out of this one. Mike and Lucas got into it on the roof, right, Mike? Right? Right. They were playing. And what I, said, what I said in the first service was both of them had some sublimated anger. Now, those, not, not Lucas and Mike, but the rest of us, how many of us think that, that that's true? You, nobody's going to say, Mary Lee and I say yes, and that's Jonathan and Mary Lee and I, that's a threesome. Yep. All right. No, Lucas, you're never angry about anything. And Mike, you're never angry about anything. Lisa, is he ever angry about anything? <laughs> okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for the workers. Thank you for Paul. We pray, Father, that you will glorify yourself through him and his children and his wife. And Father, we pray for Mike that you will help him to weave us together in a way that will make this church more beautiful and give you your son Jesus more glory, we pray in Jesus' name.